When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. Welcome to The Analyst, Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes, and we're at Lords, where South Africa made it 2-1 in the Royal London One Day Series with a crushing seven-wicket victory in this third match of the series. Actually, it was all over by 4.30, but at one stage, at 11.30, when England were 20 for six, it looked as if it would be all over in a couple of hours. So we'll look back at that series and wonder if this defeat today has dented England's morale. I'm Simon Mann. We'll also look ahead to the Champions Trophy. The eight-team tournament gets underway on Thursday at the Oval. Are there only four teams, realistically, who can win it? England, Australia, India and South Africa. Please continue to leave reviews of this podcast on iTunes. Very important to see what you like to hear about and what you think. You can also subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you'll get the programme automatically each week. Just click on the button where it says subscribe and we'll be releasing a podcast every Monday night throughout the summer. Neil Manthorpe is with us as well, South African journalist, uh, commentates for SABC. Esteemed, esteemed South African journalist, please. Sorry, Come I on. forgot that adjective. Absolutely. Oh, esteemed. That just means you've been around for a long time. <laughs> Okay, right. Well, what a strange series we've had. A, a crushing win for England, or a comfortable win for England in the first match, dramatic win for England in the second. Again, really, they had no right to win down at Southampton on Saturday. And then, from an English perspective, a real damn squib at Lords. What, what are we to, to draw from the series? Neil, what do you reckon? Well, from a South African point of view, I suppose you have to say that uh, they, they started at a very low uh, place and have climbed. So um, if they're peaking, I mean, everything is designed um, towards the Champions Trophy in this series. And the series was important, but you know they also made it their mission to play everybody, that everybody got a game. So they did use it as a warm-up. Um, you know, whereas the other teams have the luxury of playing unofficial ODIs against each other. This was an official series, but um, what has been different about South Africa is that they they did actually put results 
um, uh, secondary. It was much more about the preparation. And it looked like they needed it as well, didn't they? Because they were shocking in the field in the first two games. Yeah, and I wonder whether that is a good philosophy, really, because I think you going into a big tournament... You need momentum, you need confidence in yourselves. You need to know, I think, what is your best 11 as well. And where England have scored, certainly, I think in those first two games, was in grinding down the South African batting, South Africa being the best one-day side in the world in the rankings, England defending totals each time, which looked at times in those run chases for South Africa that they might get there. But England stuck at it, and I think particularly with the injection of Mark Wood, were able to, to find ways of taking wickets and restrict the South Africans. So England have moved forward in terms of, I think, their bowling attack. They lost ground a little bit today because they batted badly. And I think the reason why they batted badly is that batsmen have just become conditioned to playing big shots against a white ball which never moves. And suddenly they came up against a highly skilled bowler in Rabada and conditions just fractionally in favour of the bowlers and they came badly unstuck. And it'll ask a few questions for the selectors. This, this I'm not making excuses for England, not at all, because their, their performance in the first half now was, was poor today. Like, there was some good bowling as well, mind you. There were also some poor shots. But I just wonder, you win the series on Saturday in an amazing victory as well. It, it was an amazing victory. You had no right to win that game in Southampton. Two days later, you've got to get yourself up for another game. It's overcast. You've lost the toss again for the third match in a row. Is your mind you know, really totally focused I know it's supposed to be, a you know, big crowd, it's Lords, I know it's supposed to be totally focused, but, but is it and can it be, especially when you, as I say, you won the series and then the big game, the really big game this week is on Thursday at, at the Oval against Bangladesh, first match of the Champions well, I mean, I think England made the mistake of, of changing their team. Perhaps part of that was down to injury protection or prevention, but I think as soon as you start bringing new players in, for whatever reason, unless it's severe injury... That disrupts the, the rhythm of the team, the trustworthy trustworthiness, the trust in each player. And, and I think it, it's, it's a disruptive kind of mechanism which then can unsettle the team and they don't play as well as a result. South Africa historically have always had an 11. Um, every single squad for every single ICC event and tournament has been an 11 and three reserves or four reserves. And that's the way that they've always gone about things. Um, so and they know their best 11. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and it's been their undoing as well because when there has been an injury or a loss of form and they've had to bring somebody in, he's come in cold um, and has almost felt like a guest. <laughs> um, and this squad now, for the first time, and it's interesting you say you need to know what your best 11 is. Well, South Africa don't go in with an unchanged 11. And, and during the last 18 months, and they've been on this winning spree, for the first time ever, they have had a squad in which everybody um, feels part of the 11, if that's possible. I think England have more like a 12, don't they, really, at the moment? They probably know their best 11, and Johnny Best are sort of right on the edge there. But so, so South Africa, having had no all-rounders two years ago, have now got four all of whom are comfortable and look good in the team. Um, they've got Mornay Morkel back now. So this, this, for the first time, is a 15-man squad. And I honestly, I think, I mean, they were going to play two spinners in Southampton until they got there in the morning of the game and just thought, it just looks too green. Mm-hmm. So they went with a, a debutant in Kishab Maharaj. But, I mean, they've, they've tried that for 20 years, Simon, <laughs> knowing, knowing their best 11 and playing it all the time. And it hasn't worked. And, and either by, it's maybe a happy accident, but now they have a squad and they use it. 
What did you, what did you make of the defeat on Saturday? Inevitably, the, the C word came up. We talked about that on Donald last week on the podcast. You know, he, he says it still still haunts him. What happened in 1999, and all South African teams have had to live with that. You know, messing up right at the end. What, what did you think about it? just just one of those things, or, or was it sort of part of a, a deeper problem within South African international cricket? <laughs> I interviewed Lawrence Klusner last year, and uh, and there was a very poignant moment when he said. I realised about a year after it that I would have to be saying sorry for the rest of my life. Um, it was very sad. I sort of felt like saying, no, you don't, Lance, we're over it, but it's not true, and he will. Um, but I think that the problem there, Simon, and people have made the mistake of, of confusing choking and bad decision-making. Um, so, so David Miller and Chris Morris and all the South African teams have had match situations, middle practices, where they've had to score at a runner ball, and they know... They go through it. They know, they know how to do it. They make the decision. They, and, and the way that you score to run a ball with five wickets in hand, I think more often than not, is avoid dot balls at all cost. And if you need 10 off 10, there will be one mistake from the bowlers, and that will give you the chance to score the boundary. And that's what you do. But they were both so pumped, I think, after the assault in the last 45 minutes. They'd both been hitting sixes, and they just thought, well, let's just carry on. But... The difference was that the bowlers weren't doing the same thing anymore. Morgan did brilliantly, he wrote last roll of the dice. So he did what he could to give his team the best chance. And Miller and Morris failed to, to react. They didn't make a decision, or if they did, it was to carry on doing what we're doing. And it, it failed. And, and, I, and it's exactly the kind of failure and poor decision-making that has cost South Africa. And I think that will hurt them. And I think the way De Villiers tried to brush it off at the end of the game tells you that that's more scar tissue. That's a very interesting point, actually. And, you know, I talked to Mark Wood about that over and what his thinking was. And he, for all his sort of enthusiasm and ebullience and energy, he is a thinking bowler. And he said, well, I've worked out that... If I bowled full, they were probably going to hit it pretty well because you, you tend to bowl Yorkers at the end of you know seven to win. You look to bowl full, and you generally. But he said I, there was a bit of uneven bounce in that pitch. There was a bit of carry as well in the Southampton pitch. So I thought short of a length, fast, then the bounce might be just a little bit uneven. And particularly, he thought if I bowl to Morris, he's a swiper. Mm. He's going to go for big hits. He's not going to go for the little. Sort of dab shots or works or anything like that to get Miller back on strike. So if I bowl fast and short, he's going to have a few wafts and miss, hopefully. And he did. Uh, so so Wood outthought him there, and Miller, and uh, Morris in particular perhaps should have just thought, well, all we need is you know five singles and a two, and we've won. So there, there was lack of, as you say, good decision making by the by the batsman, the South African batsman, and clever bowling by Wood. What sort of shape do you think South Africa are in after this series, going into the, the Champions Trophy? <laughs> you see, um, it doesn't matter. It's not about bat and ball anymore. I mean, you know, there's uh, 20, over 20 years of, uh, of pain and, <laughs> and suffering. and uh, So it's all about um, what's in their heads. Um, and it's, I found it really interesting. I mean, they, they've had every single approach under seven coaches um, at all these World Cups and Champions Trophies. And they've, they've varied between um, this is the biggest tournament of our lives, this will shape and define us as people and our nation, and our, right across to it's just another game. We're just going to relax and we're going to take, take it. It's just game by game. There's nothing different. 
And they've gone back now to a, de- to a degree, saying that this is the most... Again, this is now the most... Because I've lost all the others. So this is the most important tournament. This is a, a stepping stone to the even bigger one in 2019 back here in England. That Nobody's backing away from that. Um, and nobody's trying to downplay it. Nobody's saying, you know, we're just going to treat it like any, any normal game. Um, and, I mean, we'll have to wait and see uh, whether that's a, a good thing or the right thing. Or, indeed, do they have a choice? But... Um, I'm slightly concerned that uh, that they are making it really big. I mean, that whole kind of South African white-knuckle intensity mm. seems to be creeping back. What about England, Simon, as well? I mean, they, uh, they've got a pr- pretty settled team. I think the team that played last Thursday will be the team... That, that is their best team, the team that they would hope to play on Thursday. But they do have some injury problems. Chris Wokes, this tight quad, we were told it wasn't anything serious on Saturday, but he didn't play Saturday, hasn't played Monday. Ben Stokes, who is so crucial to the balance of the side... You know, can he? Is he fit to bowl? Can he bowl more than uh, two or three overs? That, that might be enough if you just get three or four overs out of him, just to just to help out. They've got other options as well. What, what about the Stokes situation? Well, Stokes is a, is a tricky one. I think Wokes will be fine. I'm sure he was just rested as a precaution. But but Stokes is a worry because knee injuries are things that linger and it's very hard to overcome them. I'm speaking from experience. I had about four knee operations on one knee and one on the other. and It, it never goes away. It never gets any better. You just have to manage it, really. And he's obviously trying to, to do that at the moment. I mean, I can see him playing only as a batsman. And it, it's well, he definitely gets in as a batsman, doesn't I, he? I mean, he certainly gets in as a batsman. Obviously, it means England have to then rely on Mo and Ali and Rashid getting through their quotient of overs. Uh, as a result, because they'll only end up with, with five main bowlers plus a bit of Joe Root. Stokes, as a batsman, though, I think has really progressed in one-day cricket in the last year, and it's particularly due to the time he spent in the England side as a batsman only last summer, when he was injured again, and so he played as a batsman, not bowling. And I think he learned then how to, to pace a one-day innings, not to panic when he didn't get away quickly and didn't get boundaries away and I spoke to him about the way he plans his innings in practice and how that then helps him to play in a one day match Training is um, massively revolved around how I want to play my innings so I almost have an innings in the net rather than just getting balls thrown to me Um, I'll break it down into three sections of when I first go in of just playing the ball like nothing you know, if it's a good ball, leave it. If it's a good ball, block it. Um, and then once you know, got through that bit, it's like I'm in now, so I'll start playing a few more shots. But whilst not hitting anything in the air, still trying to keep every shot on the ground as possible. Um, and then you know, I'll finish off with right, you know, the end of inning stuff. So I almost break it down, and you know, that's how I want to go about me is building innings. I, I know that I can catch up now, so I don't put myself under as much pressure as I used to when I didn't get off to a good start. I used to think, oh, if I haven't hit a boundary in my first 15 balls, I need to just try and get one. Whereas, you know, now I know I can catch up massively towards the end. Uh, so does that, is that um, partly understanding how you can bring your natural aggression uh, into a game more effectively? Mm. Yeah, well, Test cricket's actually helped me with that. Um, my best innings I've played for England have been, you know, I've scored at a, at a good rate, you know, probably above a runner ball. Um, and I haven't, you know, I've just played my natural way. So being able to do that in Test cricket, I've just thought, well, why don't I just play the same way in ODI cricket? And I'll still score it a runnable um, without trying too much and taking too much risk. Because, you know, the field's back, there's gaps everywhere. Um, so just 
play the same way as I do in test cricket. So backing up what Stokes said there, I, I can tell from that innings he played at Southampton that he, he didn't panic too much. Remember, he, he, got, he played and missed a few times early on and got dropped actually at slip. But he didn't panic. He didn't try some big shots early on. And when he did play the odd boundary shot, it wasn't a big slog across the line. It was just a bunt back over the bowler's head or a, a pick up over mid-wicket sticking to his shots rather than trying to, too hard to hit the ball too far and get out, which is what he did in the past. Neil, you said that South Africa got four all-rounders. I bet you wouldn't mind I mean, a fifth or, or someone like Ben Stokes in the old line-up there. Trade you three for one. Would you take it? <laughs> no. You can, have any, you can pick any of our three and we get Stokes. Would, that, would you go for that? Um, well, you know, it's a good question. And actually, funnily enough, the, the biggest thing of all that he brings... Is this energy, this this sort of aggression, which England really lacked today, by the way, um, even with the ball in the field? I know they were defending a small score, but there was a bit, there was a tameness about their out cricket today. Really, you know, they let South Africa get off to quite a fast start. If you've got Stokes out there, he's if anything kind of goes slightly wrong or people aren't showing that amount of intent, you know, he's out shouting and screaming and getting the guys together, and he, he provides a sort of rallying call. And his fielding is is such an uplift. You know, the way. He throws himself around the field, hurls the ball back in to the stump. So, you know, he is three cricketers in one. Mm. He is. It's interesting that he played um, that, uh, with Faf Duplessis for Pune Supergiant in the IPL. Um, and, you know, it's changed the whole dynamic of international cricket. It's 10 years now, the IPL. I know England players have only recently just got involved. But um, it, it has changed the dynamic of international competition because you get these two guys who spend a lot of time together in two months. They got to know each other. Um, and, and, and so they become friends but they also learn what becomes your opposition what makes them tick yeah. and how to get under their skin um, and, and so it's interesting watching Duplessis who isn't shy of a little bit of confrontation especially you know, when it's required I mean he's quite controlled he can produce a flash of aggression if he thinks it might work and help and, um, and, and Stokes is, has a reputation anyway being a bit of a hothead so, um, I, I mean, it would be really interesting if South Africa and England met again in the semi-final at a pressure cooker moment and Duplessis tried to light that fuse just to see what would happen. Well, let's, let's talk, uh, look, at the, look at the Champions Trophy. We'll talk a bit more about it uh, after the break. Are South Africa, I mean, the number one side, are South Africa genuine contenders for the Champions Trophy? I think only four teams can win it, personally. I, I, I disregard four, and I think only four teams can win it. India... England, Australia, and South Africa. Do, I mean, do they really in that dressing room? Do they really believe they've got a chance? Oh, they believe. Oh, they absolutely believe. Um, and you know, I, I'd be tempted to say, "Oh, I don't know about Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, West." Yeah, I know the Westerners are here, are they? Um, Pakistan. Um, but I, I agree with you. Actually, I do think that the big four, one of them, is going to win it. And I think that I think South Africa can win it because they've shown today at Lords that they can win huge. I mean, I think the problem will come uh, should they get to a, to a, a, a tight game um, where their decision-making may be called into question once again. But, I, I mean, I, you know, I think they need some, some luck. And, and they've got enough players, like England, they've got enough players who can produce such perf- large individual performances to make victory easy and to take out that kind of last-over scenario. So they, oh, they, they definitely believe that they, they can win it. Um, I'm not so sure that many of their supporters do that. I think they've got one weak link. 
and it's a surprising one. It's A.B. de Villiers, and I don't mean his batting, I mean his captaincy. And you talk about decision-making, Neil. A.B. de Villiers is a genius as a batsman. I mean, I just love watching him bat. I would pay a lot of money to come and watch him bat. Even that little cameo he played today had some majestic shots, you know, a couple of his ingenious shots. It was, it was, it was a little bit of magic, that, for, I don't know, half an hour today. But some of his decision-making as captain is bizarre. And I'll just give you one example. Today, he took off Rabada after five overs, England were 20 for six, and he put a spinner on at the nursery end. And England finally got 154. Well, OK, it, di- it didn't really mount much of a challenge. But actually, if England had bowled a little bit better to start with, actually, that could have been a game today. And I think de Villiers is, is not a very proactive captain. Well, when Simon started saying that Neil had a big smile on his face so Simon has just bowled you a bank sir Neil what are you going to, what are you going to do with it are you going to duck it or are you going to hook it no I, I was smiling because t- trust the analyst to, to touch on that about which we do not speak uh, de Villiers' captaincy I mean it's um, you know he, he can't keep up with play he's been fined and banned for, for um, slow over rates he does make uh, bizarre choices um, and Faf Duplessis is a much better captain than him, and you'll often see Duplessis making the changes and or trying to persuade uh, de Villiers that that may be not the best thing and there might be a better option, um, and constantly trying to do so in a, in a way that, that doesn't appear to be undermining de Villiers' captaincy. He wants the captaincy so passionately Does he? desperately. Yeah, I would have wondered, I, de Villiers, I wondered about that. Yeah, no, he, he really, really wants it. He's still hurting that the test captaincy was taken away from him and given to Duplessis. Um, and, and he, and, uh, you know, he, the only way that de Villiers will recover from the scarring, deep scarring of the 2015 World Cup semi-final is to take the team as captain to the 2019 World Cup and win it. Otherwise, um, he'll, he'll, he'll never get over it. But um, can you just explain briefly what the issue was with the 2015? Because Alan Donald was saying last week, wasn't there? There were lots, there was lots going on behind the scenes. And can you kind of enlighten us on that? We'd need another podcast. <laughs> well, do, keep it to sort of, you know, 30 seconds. <laughs> well, simply, um, Vernon Philander wasn't fit. had failed a fitness test. Um, Kyle Abbott had destroyed Sri Lanka in the quarterfinal at the SCG and was bowling as well as he ever had done. Uh, so the team was selected... And the quarterfinal, there were three players of colour as opposed to the, the, the spoken but unwritten requirement of four. Um, and so the same team as the quarterfinal was selected for the semi final, but um, the board and the chief executive intervened yeah. and said that Philander should play. Um, and, and, and it was only one selection, but it was the, it was the premise, wasn't it? It was the. It was setting the, the, the example. It was, it was saying to de Villiers as captain and the rest of the players that it might be the World Cup, it might be a semi-final, but it's not your priority. And as a result, I suppose de Villiers has felt miffed and overridden and uh, diminished, and that's why he's not playing test cricket at the moment. That's right, and South Africa's selectors have had a policy post-isolation, so it's almost over a quarter, quarter of a century, uh, that... Um, should a player lose his place in a team because of injury, then it's still his place. 
Uh, whoever comes in, however well they perform, he is a replacement. And when that player recovers, he will get his place back. That's the way it's, it's been. Only one exception, when JP Dumini took over from Ashwell Prince and scored that 163 to win the Melbourne Test in 2008, he kept his place. Uh, but otherwise, there's no exception. Until we came to A.B. de Villiers as test captain, um, had a long-term injury, was out for six months. Fafti Placid did an exceptional job. And de Villiers felt that uh, he was the captain and Duplessis had done a great job as a replacement but the selection policy is that if a batsman or a bowler is injured he he gets his place back and has to lose form or play himself in or out on performance De Villiers felt that that should apply to the captain as well but it didn't Neil thanks very much after the break we're going to look at the other Champions Trophy contenders and also we're going to nominate our Royal London Player of the Week Welcome back. Well, we've looked at South Africa's prospects for the Champions Trophy and Neil Manthorpe quite bullish about their, their chances and clearly the, they feel they've got a big chance. They are the world number one rated team and they've absolutely thumped England in the third Royal London One Day International. What about England's prospects? I mean, Mark Wood said something after the, the second game. He said, now we have to deal with the expectation because they are at home, although they're fifth ranked in the world or they were before the, the series against South Africa, they, there is an expectation that they are going to be a big contender for the tournament one or two problems the issues of course over the the fitness of of Stokes and to some extent Wokes also Jason Roy at at the top of the order yeah uh, Jason Roy will be just thinking about things now because he's had three failures in this series and he's looked a little bit uncertain he's been done a couple of times by good bowling but that's going to happen at this level and obviously he's got Johnny Bairstow breathing down his neck. I thought Bairstow's innings today was fantastic. Obviously, he kind of gave it away a little bit at the end. But his ability to deal with that high-class bowling at the start, especially against Rabada and, to a lesser extent, Morley Morkel, really made you think, well, actually, he could open the batting. He was virtually anyway, wasn't he? He was in in about the fourth over, third over. And he was batting against a new ball both ends. And I'm sure Jason Roy will be concerned. But England have a... A mentality at the moment, Owen Morgan in particular, says, this is my team, this is what I'm going to stick with, and you know, no changes is, is the best way forward. We don't want to suddenly start with instability and uncertainty and suddenly saying to people, well, actually, we're not sure what our best team is, so we'll drop Jason Roy and put Johnny Beresto into open. I think that will be a bit of a, an unlikely move. Well, I think I'd like to make two points. One is that England changed their plans before the last World Cup, didn't they? On the eve of the tournament, they brought in Gary Ballas to batter number three, so I don't think they're going to make that mistake in inverted yeah. commas again I think yeah. they're going to stick with the plan that they've been working with for a long time and they basically give bats from their heads haven't they over the last um, 18 months yeah. they've allowed them to fail so I don't, I don't think that's going to happen I don't think Jason Roy is, is going to be jettisoned at this stage he also gets a chance to bat at the Oval on Thursday which is his home ground I hope they don't jettison by the way because I've made him one of the players to watch in, in the Cricketer Magazine promotion of the Champions Trophy so it looks silly if he suddenly gets dropped and, and just one other point about Jason Roy before I move on to my other point I want to make is that Roy was in good form in India. He made half century in each of the three one-day internationals in India not so long ago. So it's not as if he's been failing for a long time. It's only been in this domestic summer that he's he's struggled a bit. The other point I want to make is I agree with you about Johnny Bairstow. He did bat superbly today. But when you get to 50, when you get when you've got that base built just embarrass the selectors by making the most of it. Don't get out to the shot that he got out to. Just nail down 100. Get 100. Get 120 and say, right, now drop me. I just felt that 
He wasn't quite ruthless enough. I know it's easy to say sitting up here, but go on, make the most of it. It's a bit like Sam Billings in the West Indies when he made that 50, when he was batting beautifully. Go on, you know, make it hard for the selectors. Get 100, get 120, get 130, and then say, drop me. Totally agree. And he missed an opportunity. But what, what a reserve to have. Yeah. What a person to have in the background. Probably better off batting at you know, five or six than opening, but... The great thing about him is he can bat anywhere. It was it was a class innings. It was a hugely impressive um, and, until he got out. Let's look at the other contenders. I said at the start of the, the podcast that I thought only four teams could win it. Uh, India and Australia are my other two teams. And yeah. India is just a canny one-day side. They've got some quality players. They've got Kohli, of course, and they've got Bumrah, and they've got Ravi Chandran, got Ashwin. Quick, quick bowlers, actually, yeah, yeah. as well. Umish Yadav, people like that. Mm. I mean, you know, they've got some really good... Um, Mohamed Shami. Now, he's yeah. going to take wickets here. You know, he's a bit quicker than he looks. He swings the ball away, hits the seam. People will not have seen that much of him over here. He'll bowl well. It's, it started to rain. We've got a kind of showery sort of week, I think, this week. A few days of, you know, not sure, uncertain weather might mean that he, he finds a, lot, a bit of help in some of these pitches. Yeah, don't, don't write off India, not, not by any means. But also, I mean, you know, lurking there, the world champions, you know, write them off your peril. Australia, yeah, yeah, true. They've, got, they've got strong top-order batting yeah. and they've got pace as well in their, in their bowling lineup. And the, the one thing they probably haven't got is good spin. Mm. I think that's the area that they probably need uh, a little bit of sort of ideally reinforcement. They've got Adam Zampa who will bowl leg breaks. They've got bit of Glenn Maxwell but it depends really a little bit on the weather over the next week or two because if it's a little bit damp then the seamers will be the guys to hold sway and they won't need too much spin uh, Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood that is probably the best attack in the tournament uh, so you know if they can do their job and bowl really tightly I mean they didn't beat Sri Lanka that emphatically the other day at the Oval, the Australians. So it might just take a little bit of warming up. And the other thing is, I think their batting order is not set in stone. They've got good players, but they don't really know kind of in what order. It reminds me of that famous quote by the the author of uh, Ulysses. James Joyce. Yeah, James Joyce, who who was writing his, his book one day, and he was writing, you know, longhand, and uh, it was all day, and his friend came in at the end of the day and said, well, how many words is it today then, James? And he said, seven. So his friend said, oh, well, James, that's, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And so James Joyce said, yes, but I don't know what order they go in. Sorry, it's a bit of a sort of an aside, but I think that's what applies to the <laughs> I Australian... I wonder where you were going with that. Australian batting order... Good players, don't know what order they're going. Yeah, they've got they've got lots of talent. Perhaps not as settled a team as some of the others, like South Africa, for example, or India, or England. But they're they're, they're dangerous. I mean, a lot depends on people like Warner and, and Smith at the top of the order, doesn't it? And Warner, you know, can win a game on his own. So can Smith. So can so can Stark. Um, so could Cummings. Yeah, they so they, they've got, got, got match winners. They, they definitely got match winners. I mean, are we, are we right to, to write off the other four teams? I think yeah, Bangladesh could be a, an interesting proposition. Yeah. They could tweak someone's nose. New Zealand are one of those teams that they've got some talent, but you feel they haven't got quite got enough to go the whole way. Yeah. And then Pakistan have been in a bit of dis- disarray. They're number eighth ranked in the world, and Sri Lanka perhaps not, you know not quite as strong as they've been in the past. So I'm, I'm not you know I'm, well I suppose they am writing those other four teams off, but I can only really see the winner coming from the, the, the four that I mentioned yeah I, I completely agree with you and, and of course the other thing is going to be fielding and uh, you know the fittest teams the ones that can take those catches on the boundary edge flicking the ball back in maybe to a relay fielder or dive stops or brilliant catches in the outfield or the best 
three fielding teams are probably England, South Africa and Australia. So I would say just on you know fine margin it's going to be one of those three that win, win the tournament. And i just got a hunch that England are going to do it this time. I think they've got enough balance, enough confidence and provided they can they, they just find that extra ingredient just to keep taking wickets in the middle of the innings, that's going to be the key, I think, to, to their success. Well, I was asked the other day who I thought was going to win it, and I said, I really don't know. That's why we're going to play the tournament. Let's, let's find out. But if you had to really press me, I'm going to go for Australia. To win. Yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, end, let's end with our Royal London Player of the Week and our low light and highlight. I'm going to nominate as our Royal London Player of the Week. I thought honourable mention for Kumar Sangakara, who, who nearly got there with his 600s. He was our Player of the Week last week. An honourable mention for Mark Wood. And I'm going to go slightly left field. I'm going to go for Moen Ali. He's got the sort of pressure of Johnny Bairstow. He came out superbly in that first one-day international last Wednesday. He made 77 not out. He picked up a couple of wickets. Even on Saturday at Southampton, he came out and made useful runs at the end. And then he got the vital wicket of De Kock for 98, sort of, un, sort of unsung hero, but a talented, essential part of England's uh, yeah. one-day side. So he is my nomination for Royal London Player I, I of the would Week. Have, I would have gone for uh, Liam Plunkett, actually, but you've made a good argument for, for Menno and Ali. For, for unsung heroes, Liam Plunkett is certainly up there as well for the consistent wicket-taking and the willingness to bowl in any situation against any batsman. But sure, I'll give you Moe and Ali. And my low likes, I'm doing the low light this week, I'm going to go for oh, poor old uh, Dean Elgar's dismissal by Mason Crane. I'm not sure if you've seen it in that championship match between Somerset and Hampshire I've heard about down it. at Taunton. So a long hop leg break from Mason Crane. It lands on the, just on the cut bit of the pitch and then sort of spins quite a long way and dips and it actually yorks Elgar on the second bounce. <laughs> so uh, it was a you know, funny incident, but sort of, uh, any self-respecting batsman, uh, I think a huge low light. Actually, it's the kind of dismissal you sometimes see in schools cricket, don't yeah, you, with the double yeah. bouncer and the ball just on the second bounce sneaking under the bat. And it proves that leg spinners can take wickets in unusual ways. Yeah. And Hampshire should have played Mason Crane before this game because he hasn't played too many games in the championship side and he could have won matches with these kind of unusual dismissals in the fourth innings. So it's a lesson for Hampshire that and proof that, that Crane is someone to watch for in the end. The highlight of the week has to be, for me, Mark Wood, that final over at uh, the Aegeus Bowl. Seven to win South Africa. Everything was pointing to the fact that they would win it. But there's something about Wood, isn't there? There's something optimistic and energetic and enthusiastic about it, but also smart as well. He did bowl a clever over there. He worked out that the batsmen were hitting the full ball pretty well, particularly well, Morris and Miller. And so he went short of the length, saw this slightly uneven bounce and defended that seven to win off the last over. I mean, that's incredible. I've bowled you know, many last overs in games and you think 10, 12, 14... Even that's a bit of a struggle these days to defend. So seven, defending seven, absolutely fantastic. And he's so old school. Do you know he still marks his run-up out pigeon-toe, step-by-step, step, rather than the tape measure and the, the paint and all that. So fantastic effort by my Mark Wood. What a wonderful addition he is to this England team. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a tribute by a man who had to bowl a, a last over in a big game and didn't quite... It off. No, in fact, we're sitting in exactly the place where yeah. my most famous it, yeah. moment in cricket, when Neil Smith smacked one over long off, and it would have, if the media centre had been here, it would have clanged onto the windows where we're sitting. Okay, so uh, that's our look back at England South Africa. I look forward at the Champions Trophy this time next week. The Champions Trophy will be underway. We're really looking forward to it. I hope you are too, and we'll be back with you next week. Goodbye for now. Goodbye. 
Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.